Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of RC Weekly. My name is Ruben Spolter, and I'm here with Rav Johnny Solomon and Rabbi Malibrovsky. And today, we're going to go back and revisit the, uh, the tragic and painful issue of Rav Shmuel Tal and uh, his, the, his, the, the episode of Rav Tal that has been uh, ongoing where I live, actually, in Yad Binyamin. Rav Tal, since we last spoke, was, I wouldn't say the word exonerated. He was definitely not exonerated by the Beitin. Rather, I would say he was convicted of his, of his actions in, according to the Beitin. But nonetheless, the Beitin decided that despite the fact that he kept up a relationship with a married woman and convinced her to uh, divorce her husband based on the claim that through Rach HaKodesh, he knew that they were supposed to be married. Uh, in the end, they felt that since that, that one transgression was insufficient, and they couldn't find any other evidence, so it was insufficient to demand his removal as Rosh Yeshiva. When this Beit issued the Psak, there was great joy in, uh, in the Yeshiva, singing and dancing, uh, which elicited another response. And, uh, and then Rav Tal actually issued a, an, a public apology on a post that was promoted on YouTube and Facebook by the yeshiva itself. It was a, it was a very loud apology, but nonetheless, issue, issue, issue simply has refused to go away. Despite repeated requests by rabbis, actually, I live in Yad Binyamin, the rub of the yeshuv, his name is Rabbi Gal Hadaya, has issued two letters instructing people to just stop talking about it. No one's going to convince anybody to just stop fighting about it. Despite those two letters, people continue to talk about the Raftal episode, and it continues to be something that that uh, is is uh, uh, I would say the Jewish community, not just in Yad Binyamin, but the Jewish community around the religious Zionist world, is focusing on to the point where Yehuda Yifrach in Makor wrote a second article in the Diukan. I don't know if you guys saw that about this entire issue. So there's a lot of there's a lot to unpack. So we're going to try to do it in brief in brief stages. I, I know I, if you don't know what I'm talking about, then you should go and read up on Raptal. Uh, the first question I'm going to ask is, okay, the, the, the Beitin was appointed by Rav, Rav Asher Weiss. Rav Asher Weiss is a recognized halachic postic that really is one of the few people that spans different uh, religious communities. He's recognized in the Haredi world. He's very popular even in the modern Orthodox world or the religious modern Orthodox world. He appointed a Beitin, and the Beitin issued a psak. During the past week, uh, a TV news article on Channel 13 news, news item uh, reported conflicting evidence. On the one hand, Rav, Rav, Rav Weiss told the woman who was the, one of the plaintiffs in the case that the basin was independent. And then he was recorded, secretly somehow recorded, by him when he admitted to other rabbis that he was in full control of the Beitin. So the first question is, okay, what do we do with the Beitin? What's the status of Rav Asher Weiss and following this entire episode? Where did the Beitin come from? Johnny, we'll start with you. Okay, you can start with me, but I'm going to start with some clarifications because I think you've been a little bit too broad in your brushstrokes. And we're talking about people, all people, and specifically victims. Nonetheless, we have a duty to be as accurate as possible. Let's start off with the ruling of the Beitin that was circulated, where there were three uh, Dayanim in a Beitin that's overseen by Asher Weiss, name, meaning that his name is on the top of the psak. Now, though we use the word vindicated, nonetheless, was very clear in terms of the demands of uh, Rabbi Shmuel that he doesn't give an hagat meaning his, his job has now been 
marginalized. He should only be a teacher. He should not be a public leader. He should not give personal advice, family advice, and he should not uh, be in a position of advising women in any matter whatsoever. That He needs to publicly renounce any claims that he may have made or been implied he has Racha Kodesh. So wait, wait, Johnny, I want to clarify. I didn't say he was vindicated. I said the yeshiva issued a statement claiming that he was vindicated. That, that's a right, distinction. Right. No, very important distinction. It's important to know... It's important to know, though, that for those who haven't yet read the ruling of this vetting, which we're now analyzing, that there were certain demands made. Those demands obviously need to be kept to. And part of it included a follow-up statement from Rabbi Tal, which has happened. This doesn't change what has happened in the past between himself and this woman, which has been uh, discussed at a considerable length, which he's acknowledged, and he was way out of line and very, very wrong in coming close to doing, let alone uh, the conversations that were had and the implications that were made. That's point number one. Point number two, uh, you, you talk, you mentioned Rabbi Osher Weiss. He said, yes, people in the Betin who seek advice generally follow what he says, but he also emphasized his view of the independence of the Betin, and that obviously um, made the journalist in Channel 13, who did a piece about this, somewhat curious. How can a overseeing Diane be both independent and yet be somebody who those three Dianim touch? Wait, and one second, and it's important to add, and this is an, uh, something that's acknowledged by all sides, Rav Asher Weiss is very close to Rav Tal. Rav Asher Weiss appeared, to, while the proceedings were going on, he appeared in a video supporting the charity campaign for Yeshiva Torah and said complimentary things about Rav Tal. So how, the, so how is it possible that a baking in which Rav Weiss himself has admitted that they wouldn't go against him, that he could, that they could be swayed, they could sway him, big 20% here, 20% there, I think he said exactly 15%. How is it possible that a baking could come to an independent discuss, agreement or, or, or conclusion when it's his baking, that he says he controls the baking, and he's taught in Torah Chaim for many years, and is clearly a close associate of Rav Tal. Okay, so you're asking, uh, I, I'd say, how does one square a circle here? Uh, and uh, truth be told, I'm not somebody to, it's not for me to answer. The three dining obviously, are those who need to be questioned on this matter. We've, we've seen disturbing evidence which seems to the contrary. Nonetheless, a, a ruling has been made. Some people are uneasy about the reaction of that ruling by uh, the yeshiva, the Chaim yeshiva. And for full disclosure, though I no longer live in Yabinimin, I did live there for three years. And certainly uh, I observed Rav Asher Weiss give shiurim in this yeshiva. And so I'm well aware of this relationship that exists. Um, so can you crystallize the question a little bit? I, I'm not certainly in a position to say what were three Dianim thinking and how much were their kochot hanefesh, which is really the internal bias, influenced by what they may or may not have asked of Osher Weiss. What I do know is that a, a leading religious leader who has an influence on educational systems and institutions, which I certainly some years ago had some tiny connection with has acted in a deviant manner. Deviant does not necessarily mean 
that they've touched this woman that undoubtedly. No, no, Rabbi, I, Rabbi, I want to stay away from that issue. I want to stick with the baiting. Ma- Molly, can you can you answer my question, or do you not also? Yes, know oh, what I have so much to say that I, you know. <laughs> I'm t- we're trying to keep it like you know. We're going to keep it concise clear. to your question. Uh, okay, yeah. I will say I will start by saying that um, as I've said previously about Avashar Rice, I, I have tremendous respect for him. Um, He's well known as as one of the most um, outstanding, I would say, Tamidei Chachamim around these days. I know people who I have tremendous respect for, who have tremendous respect for him. Um, my husband, my husband, took my son to hear a shear by him because you know it was, we, we thought it was an opportunity. I want to start there. At the same time, I will say I find his involvement in this case disturbing. Um, I, I, I think I think there are problems. Um, I, I also want to say that um, it's not the first time that Rav Asher Weiss, perhaps with very good intentions, has made calls on, on cases of sexual impropriety that I personally, coming from my perspective um, as a uh, therapist who works, who has, again, training in, in sexual abuse um, and works on what's called the Vad Muganut of our community. So I think about these issues a lot in terms of community and public policy. Um, it's not the first thing Rav Asher Weiss has done that has made me feel, let me use the word, sorrowful. There, um, and again, I think it, 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 to me it's about Rabbanim needing to be educated, um, the psychology and the sociology of abuse, and to recognize what issues are... Um, in what issues they they know about and what issues they may be tremendous they may be tremendous um, people of great spiritual stature they may not they may need to be educated about certain areas that's just not in their um, um, wheelhouse I hate that word it's too it's too modern a word but I'll use it because I can't think of any other word um, and I think that that there's a Unfortunately, I've seen it over and over, a, a lack of understanding of the dynamics of sexual abuse and very well-intentioned rabbis because rabbis are coming from a place where they want to help people, they want to support people, they want to support people that they know, that they care about, um, and they don't always understand the implications of what they're doing when they do that. And I do think that Rav Asher Weiss um, should have recused himself the minute, he, the minute there was a case brought against Rav Tal who was a person that he had a relationship with, um, if he was not able to be objective, he should not have, he should have recused himself. And especially not, the question is, you know, how much power did he have over this Beitin? I think he should have had zero power. So the fact that there's a question of, did he have any power, raises question marks in my head, disturbing to me. Um, And again, so Johnny, I want to turn, thank you, Molly. I want to turn to Johnny to ask a different question. Johnny, what authority did the Beitin have in this case? Meaning, under what? If I, if I, I, I'm, uh, this is sort of a rhetorical question, but I'm asking you if you have an answer. If I have a, a I don't know, a, like a question of should Rav Tal be removed or not? So there's the police that can decide that. But what authority? Under what authority did this Beitin act? Um, well, you have to ask yourself who sought, who brought the case to the Beitin. Okay. Um, Do you know? No. Did, Do you know? Did, uh, I have the sack right in front. Wait, but wait, can I just add one thing? There are no, so no, this many, is an important. This is an important. Point I know it's an important, issue, but this is this speaks to what Johnny said. There are so many holes here. Like Reftal 
dismissing people from his yeshiva who he doesn't like. So now all of a sudden those people can't be on the Beit Din because they're no longer there. Like No, they were never, they were never, they were never candidates to be on the Beit Din. I'm just saying, there's so, what bothers me, and I think, I, I want to say this before Johnny answers, is that I think Johnny is coming from a very tamim place where he's just kind of reading up Sakdin and saying, well, this sounds reasonable. And what I'm saying disturbs me is that what's missing is a larger picture of what's really um, you can't just read this psaktin. You have to understand um, Raftal's personality, um, his, his, his pattern of behavior, um, and also what it means to a community. And I'm sorry, I just have to say this before. No, not yet. Wait, we're still on the Beitin. No, no, we'll come to it. One more, Write it one down. More <laughs> no, I wrote it down. I have to say this. I, I really don't understand how anybody can have a havamina that a person, first of all, there were other things he was accused of that, that, that didn't get to, you know, didn't have proof with other women. So let's leave that aside. That's in the background. But a, I, I'm just asking both of you as rabbis, a person who has, has admitted that he, this is what he's admitted to. I admit that I said that I have Ruach HaKodesh and that woman X should divorce her husband because my wife is going to die and we should get married. In what universe should that person remain a rabbinic authority in any capacity? Okay. I, you said I, it. Torah, you said it. Not Larbit's Torah. I'm not understanding in what universe anybody can think that that person should be a spiritual leader. And if you tell me teaching Torah is different than being a spiritual leader, then I have a problem with your view of what it means to be Laharbit's Torah. There. Can I come back to my question? Yes. Okay. So, Johnny, my question is, who brought the case? Okay. No, no, no. One second. We're, uh, you know, I know we want to try and be linear, but uh, I think this is too hard to topic to be able to achieve that quite that way. Number one, I was neither defending or trying to interpret the ruling. For those who haven't yet read it, I just wanted to be uh, reasonable to what's out there and make it clear that there were uh, both conditions and, and implications. On a personal level, I make this crystal clear to anybody who is listening in case there's fear of ambiguity. My personal opinion as somebody who was a previous re resident of this, in, of this community where this institution is, about multiple institutions, I 100% agree that no religious leader, no teacher who acts in this way should continue in such a position. Unequivocal. Nobody's asking my opinion, so I'm just saying it out there. That's okay, point I think that's important to be said. That's point, and, and uh, this is according to my record on, on topics like this, unfortunately, there's been far too many in my, my lifetime. Point number two, though, we're now, the, the conversation here has veered on to the follow-up, not on Rabbi Tal, but we're not now talking about Rabbi Asher Weiss and maybe he could have perhaps influenced the ruling. I don't know. So I'm not going to talk about what I don't know because all we're then doing is second-guessing, which I think is not particularly helpful um, as, as commentators, shall we say, on a very uh, delicate and unsettling situation. So I'd like to say, number one, no, I don't think he should be the head of the institution. End of conversation. Number two, heinous things were done, and let's call a spade a spade, and let's not redirect the light onto anybody else other than the person who should carry... No, I, I, have to, I have to interject. Johnny, I have to interject. I'll, say, I'll tell you why. I have to interject. The reason we're talking about this now is because we already said all this. If you want to hear us say this, we said this two weeks ago or three weeks ago, when we last talked about it. I don't think it needs to be reiterated. 
Molly, I don't, you know what I'm saying? The reason no, but what I'm saying, saying now, my point is that, 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 that Ah, you weren't there. Oh, that's that's true. Well, Johnny, right. Johnny has it right. But what I'm saying <laughs> is, so is, I, is I that the record. fact <laughs> that rabbis, well-intentioned as they are, and I, I appreciate what Johnny is saying, and I agree, I don't think, I think that the other side that says, oh, look at these ridiculous rabbis and they're sucked in that exonerates Rav Tal, are not being fair to these rabbis either. I agree with Rav Johnny that if you read it, they're trying so hard to be good and fair and honest. That's really what it seems like on the face of it. But when I didn't say that either. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Well, I didn't say that either. I just want to say what's there. I'm not interpreting what they say. I'm simply, I'm simply saying what is written there for those who haven't yet read. Now, point number three, though, is why was there a betting? Let's answer this question as best as, as, a, as a commentator knows. That means I don't have all the facts. There are a whole variety of stakeholders in both the Yabinamin community and all the other networks of communities associated with Rital, who when things like this happen, they don't know what to do. Right. Okay? Right. They they say, um, well, we better not say anything bad, and we want to give him due process. And this either hasn't got I don't know whether the police have been involved or not. I want to make that clear. I'm ignorant on that question. And if that is the case, I'd be happy for somebody to tell me otherwise. Nonetheless, a whole variety of stakeholders said, since we don't know what to do, we want to appoint people to advise us as to what to do. Now, that group, uh, based on what they've written, all I know is what is written. They had forensic team looking through his community computers and, and they made certain conditions, etc. And their recommendations were, you're right, he's done some really bad things. There are other things that he's doing which we think should continue taking over. This is how things should be left. Obviously, I've made it clear that I disagree. But the reason why these kind of rulings are sought is because leaders aren't leaders. Let's call a spade a spade. People are unafraid, uh, uh, sorry, are petrified of expressing their opinion. And instead, what they do is they lean on what they hope to be independent bodies. Now, what's been claimed by both of you is we're not so sure how independent they are. I'm not going to offer my opinion because that's, a, that's an unknown entity, although certainly where there's smoke, there may well be fire. Okay? But nonetheless, leaders have turned to this ruling and therefore acted as a result of it. But if that's how the process is, you'd hope it to be squeaky clean. And for many people, it seems to lack aspects of that based on certain personal associations. So, so I'll thing? tell you, so, so I will tell you, no, hold on. And I, yes. I would like to say something. I've, I've been trying to lead Johnny in a certain direction. He didn't want to go there, which is totally fine. Um, <laughs> right. My, my, my point is, 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 is very clear. There is no plaintiff in this case. Nobody brought the case. So therefore, whose idea was it? It's clear that the yeshiva or whoever was trying to deal with this problem thought, listen, we can't just sweep this under the rug. There's go it's going to come out. So the, order, the best possible way of dealing with it is to bring a group of independent arbiters. We'll just decide that they're going to be the people who are going to make the decision. We're going to totally pawn it off on them. And this is what the yeshiva did time and time and time again. Don't talk about it. Nobody talk about it. It's in the hands of the Beitin. And lo and behold, what do you know? The Beitin came out and said, honestly, I was rather surprised how honest they were, but that Rav Tal could continue. Was anybody surprised? Meaning what I'm saying is there is no plaintiff here. Nobody brought the case. This case was brought to the Beitin, in my opinion, and solely in my opinion, as a complete PR move. Because there's no other way to exonerate the yeshiva and to move forward. Now you have, and who did they bring? They brought a baiting of people that they were quite certain would, would see things from their perspective. I'm not saying the baiting was tainted. I don't think that. 
But I think that, and I, I think they were probably very disappointed when they saw what the Beitin actually wrote. But, but they brought a Beitin in order to whitewash that which was, so they could say the Beitin issued their psak. Everybody move on. Nothing to see. It reminds me of like, you ever see like the Naked Gun movie? You know what I'm saying? Where the guy falls off the cliff and he's like splattered. And then he comes, no, nothing to see here. Please move on. Nobody look here because the Beitin has issued his ruling. And that's exactly what happened. The day after the Beitin issued the ruling, lo and behold, all the publicity for the yeshiva, Raftal is exonerated. Everybody's celebrating. We were just waiting for the Beitin to come. You have a Beitin with no official authority, appointed by no one, I'm not entirely sure who had responsibility. I'm not entirely sure who brought the case. Where, what's even the Shulchan Aruch allows for this? I, I don't. I, there is none. Meaning, meaning this whole baiting, people. I think it's a misuse of the notion of a baiting. And what is done, in my opinion, is it abused the notion of rabbinic authority. Because now people, we're seeing this ping pong back and forth. The the person probably most hurt here, who wasn't hurt before, is Rav Asher Weiss. He comes out looking absolutely terrible. So, and, and who, gets hurt? who gets hurt? Oh, let's be very clear. There, there is a victim here, which is a woman. No, no, no. I, I think the aside from the victim is the woman. I'm totally agreeing with that. Wait, but so. in the, the whole, I'm talking about the aftermath. We've already discussed that we have discussed the terribleness, and Molly has expressed her opinion again. And Molly, I would hate to, I hate to break it to you. You can't imagine what world. It was very clear what world these people were coming from and what their issue, what their psaac was going to okay, be in so the end. I'd like to relate because, to that. Because Raftal... For, for better or for worse, is A, a tremendous Tamil Chacham. Tremendous Tamil Chacham, A. And B, he built an incredible yeshiva, whether I agree with it or not. And it was impossible that people were going to look at it independently and see what he had done and come to the conclusion you have. Because they don't have your background, and they don't come in from your perspective, and they simply cannot think that I'm going to throw away this man's career when he never touched her. Okay, so and that's that, exactly what they said. That's the, my problem. Meaning, I, you have a much more nefarious perspective than I do. I was much closer to Johnny. I just don't know enough about the you know, potential you know, inner and in, in outs of the politics that you're describing, whether they're true or not. But when I was looking at it from a much purer level, the way, the way Johnny was describing it, I, I also saw a failure in leadership. And it goes back to something I said in one of our earliest podcasts, which is Johnny was saying, you know, they were trying to like, right? So, well, we don't want to, we're not sure, we don't have enough, we don't, you know, we don't want to take a position, so we're kind of going to say this part's bad, but this part's good. He's also a Tom and Chacham, but he also admitted to this bad thing. And, and to me, what we always have to remember is not taking a stand is taking a stand. And when you take a stand, a wishy-washy stand in a case like this, you are absolutely taking a stand about sexual abuse. You are absolutely taking a stand about the way rabbinic leadership views um, people who abuse their power in cases of, of um, again, sexual interactions. Who cares if they didn't put a hand on her physically? I, I, I'm uh, going to say it again. I, I will tell you. Like, they yeah, did because they wrote it in the sock. Okay. And what I am telling you is that on one level, you read that, you're like, that makes sense. Then you take a step back and you say, there is something here that is so room and it 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 demonstrates a deep-seated problem that's much deeper than goes much deeper than the surface analysis goes which is again why i want to say like i i, I do want to say like i was sitting at a shop table with people who are you know very for brent you know anti-reptiles and they were going at the spate in from a from a place of they're terrible and they exonerated him and that's why i said at the beginning that i did appreciate that Rav johnny said that they did say this is not okay and that's not okay 
But there's a problem, there's a much more deep-rooted problem, which is how our rabbinic authority is not properly dealing with cases of sexual abuse. They're just not, there. and, and I'll, I'll wait till you ask the question about the, the people who actually came out and said this, and I think that that's very important. There needs to be a change in the way our leadership handles sexual abuse scandals, which doesn't mean, by the way, that I'm saying that in every case, well, I, I would I would ask you the same question, Molly. What yeah. what? Well, let's let's ask it this way. And I'm just I'm soft softballing it up for you. What mechanism did the Beit Din put in place in order to ensure that Raptal abided by its decision? I don't understand your question. Okay, one, one second. Meaning, when somebody when somebody goes to Forum Takana, Forum Takana says this right. is the ruling. And right. This is what so you in have Forum Takana, the mechanism is, oh, we're going to out you. Right. Well, what mechanism did this baiting put in place? Or they said Raptal cannot do A, B, C, and D. Right. Exactly. I don't think they had one. So again, what exactly. does that tell you? Plus, I assume we're going to get to it, but the man's apology was a farce. Wait, Johnny had something to say. We'll get to it. <laughs> okay, so I, I, I think through your conversation and through both of your uh, insights, you crystallized both what I didn't want to say and what I did want to say. And you, basically what we're questioning is, maybe you are questioning the integrity of this, this sack of the Betin um, and the people on it. I, I'm, I'm not in a position to say that. I am deeply uncomfortable about the outcome and, and deeply uncomfortable about, um, and, I, and I speak not just for myself, but many friends who live there. However, I want to contrast... Wait, what wait a second. Johnny, let me clarify just one second. I'm not saying the Betin was corrupt. I'm saying that in the choice of the Betin, it was clear that these people would, have, would come to this conclusion. That's what I'm okay, saying. but so I, I want to contrast this ruling with a, a master class of what this ruling should have looked like. Um, and and just give you just a few minutes, but it's worth it. Uh, as we know, a few years ago, uh, what, there was a case called the rabbi from Tzfat, um, who was later named as Ezra Scheinberg, and, and uh, through uh, alleged use of mystical powers, basically, had relations with women. That's what we know. What fewer people know is how rabbis had to deal with the aftermath of that situation. We had cases of real adultery, and the question is, what are the status of the marriages afterwards? Now, the person who addressed this specific case was Dain Dajkowski, who I have immense regard for, and he wrote a lengthy ruling in Tchumin. This is volume 36 for those who are interested. And in fact, not only have I read the ruling multiple times, but I heard him discuss the ruling in a lecture he delivered in Barilam. Now, the reason I want to draw our listeners' attention to this ruling is precisely what follows uh, and what informed it. You see, the, the ruling title, Ishashitin Tabash Badu Khanit Mistit, which is uh, obviously part and parcel of the associated risks of what was happening there uh, with Rabbi Tal. It is, has an appendix called Shtifat Moach, which is basically brainwashing, and, and two essays analyzing how, my, how the uh, influence of one person can lead others to act and how that should impact on the, a religious ruling such as this. Now, I'm not saying the cases are precisely identical, but I think they're sufficiently similar for us to say the following. What Dain Dajkowski did is, before he wrote a halachic ruling about complicated cases such as this, he said, I don't understand how people can manipulate the minds of others through invoking mystical powers and Ruach HaKodesh. But I know I need to before I write a ruling. And so he sought experts in the field. 
they wrote uh, essays, which then informed his ruling. And that's why all three are bundled together in Tchumin chapter 36. So, volume 36. What we don't have here in this ruling of this Bet-Din, notwithstanding the certain things which are admirable in there and certain things which are concerning, is that we don't have reference to outsiders who try to get into the mindset of what Rabbi Tal did to this lady and possibly to others. And as a result of that, how that affected others in the community. Exactly. There was reference to it, but non-expert reference. What Mali is saying rightly is, when dealing with complicated things like this, whether independent or otherwise, whether expert or otherwise, there is a skill set which even the greatest Tamadei Chachamim, such as Dain Daichovsky, don't have, which need to be part and parcel of rulings, because absent of that, the ruling is unto itself limited and does not paint the fullest picture about the damage that's been done. You can't evaluate the, the nezek being done unless you're an expert about how this relationship developed and how a person could be a risk in the future. Yes. So I, my yes. feeling is, having under, having both been clear about what I'm not prepared to question, because I don't know, I, but, and what also I'm very absolute about, Mali and your uh, contribution means, you know what, whether this, this Bet-Din uh, did right or wrong, and whether uh, Weiss was influenced or not, uh, that's obviously deserving of an analysis. I, I'm not able to give that necessarily. What was absent was those expert voices which were needed, because this is what we're dealing with, somebody who invokes mystical powers to lead people astray, whether they do or don't touch a person. Ultimately, that influence, that power, uh, and that power dynamic is... Uh, toxic. It's something that every person, every educator, every leader should be cognizant of and create very, very strict boundaries against. And here there was a failure. So Johnny, I think Johnny, I think I I think we would of course yes. agree with you. Anybody I want to just add one sentence podcast. to Johnny's thing because he said everything a hundred percent, and of course he said it more articulately than I did. Um, I would just add two things. You talked about mystical powers. I would talk also about the, the dynamic of sexual. Um, predators and abuse, and you said the danger for the victims, and you alluded to also the personality of the abuser or the predator, that's another very important piece. This man's, the charisma, the extremism, again, we talked about it last week, we don't have to go into it again, but those need expert analysis. It's not... So I think that's exactly the, the point. I think that this, that, I think this is the fault line between, I would say, our community and a Haredi community. Our community would say, for whatever our community would say, where are the experts? Where are the social workers? Where are the psychologists? And I think when you go to a more Haredi uh, um, bent, they'll say, well, you know, we'll rely on our instinct, and we're not, we're not really interested in, you know, psychological. I don't, I don't think they would say mumbo jumbo, but I think they would say that they would not consider the need to turn to outside sources for exactly that. So and now, wait, Molly, I have to, re- I have to read for you. I don't know if you read this in Makor Rishon. This is my surprise question for you. So there's this, I don't think it's even a question. I, I, just, I just want to, your head to explode. So there's this letter in Makor Rishon. Did you see it? Did you no. see the letter in Makor Rishon? You did? No, you know what I'm my head is ready about? to explode. Ah, so this woman, thing. right, her name is uh, Tipi Efron. She writes, Milvadzot, I mean, she's writing, aside from this, he didn't use his position in order to, to abuse his own, the people in his flock. 
the woman he had a relationship with, had explained. Right? Hey. Abused him no less than he abused her. Now, I don't think Molly's going to agree with this, but a right. lot of people think this. Exactly. Which is How do you why respond to that? We, but my response is, which is exactly why we need psychoeducation. People need to understand the dynamics of abuse and the dynamics of power. Right? You could have this, you could have the same, make the same conversation. You, you know how often you have cases uh, in couples therapy where there's in a case of abuse and the, the therapist isn't trained in abuse, right? And what are you told always in couples therapy? Oh, it takes two to tango. If he's behaving one way, then of course she's contributing also. Unless you are trained in domestic violence, you, you, you don't know how to differentiate a domestic violence and abuse case from a typical um, couple besichsuch. And you need to be able to, to make that distinction. And in a, in a domestic violence case, say, wait a second, we need to, we need to untangle this. You are an abuser. You are a victim. Your job is to take control of your actions. Your job is to keep yourself safe. Because it wait, is- you you think you? Th- wait, I'm saying I'm asking you honestly. Every yeah. therapist has to have training in couple in abuse. And I would think that any therapist who's going to do couples therapy, um, I think it would behoove them as a responsible um, therapist to have taken some to have some type of training in domestic violence and abuse. Absolutely, because otherwise they will be sitting there because. Well, it's her fault. She's depressed. She doesn't get out of bed. She doesn't help with the kids. She's so anxious. So anxious. Oh, really? Do you know why she's depressed and anxious? Because her husband is abusive. Okay, we're getting we're getting far afield. You got to move on to the next topic. You have the last word on the bait-in. Last word on the bait-in. Wait, wait, wait. Which is why I just want to really bring down this point. Which is this is what I'm trying to say over and over. Which is we need psychoeducation in our communities, not experiences that are going to undermine the messages that need to be told. But we have to have reparative experiences that are going to, as as Johnny said, explain what's actually happening to our communities so that they can stop falling into these traps that they fall into over and over. Number two, we turn to number two. We're not going to get to all five. The apology. The apology. Raftal was instructed to issue an apology, and Johnny seemed to allude to the fact that he, at least he followed the letter of the Beitin and issued quite a public apology. Um, I, um, I personally have to tell you, I don't think it's easy to do what he did. I'm not so sure it's obvious that to do what he did. And he didn't just say mistakes were made. He said, I made mistakes. Now, it might not be as, as clear that Molly wants him to probably, I don't know what Molly wants. Some people might want him to apologize specifically to the woman. We don't know if he did that or not. But okay, but I'm not the social worker. So Molly, what you obviously alluded to the fact that you have a problem with the apology. What yes. was it? Okay, so as I'm watching this apology, I'm like writing down to myself the things that are driving me bonkers. First thing is the guy stands there with a pair of tefillin on his head, which already tells he has a certain opinion about, of himself. Um, because some somebody who's, who's comfortable saying, I am holy enough to wear tefillin all day long. No, that's not fair, Molly. You just have to know that you're about Torah to Chaim. That's his psak. He believes, and in the yeshiva, they wear tefillin all day long. So in his mind, okay. it's so interesting that you read it that but way. That it, and Johnny will tell me that this is true. Be- no, fact- no. In his mind, in, his okay. yeshiva, they that wear tefillin all day. something about his mind, right? Because the, the story I know is about Rav Cook sitting with tefillin all day long. And in Velazhin, they went to the Nitziv and they said, who is this guy who thinks he can wear tefillin all day long? And the Nitziv said, yeah, nobody can wear tefillin all day long. You know who can wear tefillin all day long? Rav Cook. So anybody who thinks that we and our yeshiva can wear tefillin all day long, that says something about him, especially when you add this is a person who also says a lot of extreme other things. So I'm, I see that, and I see what's a yellow light. 
yellow light in terms of how the person views himself. Now, he when he's describing... Yeah, but this is nothing new. This not, that's not connected to this but, case. But it is connected is to the new. case. Because what this is telling me, I'm interested in what's this underlying psychology of the person I'm listening to. It's not the words he's saying. It's what is the mentality of the person behind the words he's saying. So I'm listening to the words and I'm trying to parse out what's 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 the you know what's the what's the message behind the words so he starts first of all you should all i i think rev blau did a very good analysis of what was wrong with this uh, apology and if anybody wants to read it you can read his his piece um he he start he talks about we're all sinners he right he goes life is not like you know when you go to customs and there's the green lane and the red lane and you can just go to the green lane because you're pure we're all sinners. So what is he doing? You say that, oh, it's so wonderful. He admits that he's a sinner. No, he's just normalizing his sin. He's basically saying, I'm a human being. All human beings sinned. I know that I sinned. Um, and I've done my cheshman and nefesh. And now I'm all better. What bothers me there? A, he's minimized the egregiousness of his sin. I'm sorry, but going to the green meches lane and going to the red meches lane, as we all are sinners, that's appropriate if you forget to say alamichia. It's not appropriate if you've told a woman to divorce her husband because you want to marry her. There's a, and if you're not aware of that, you, you, he's normalizing and minimizing. These are the manipulative tactics. Um, I don't think you, Molly, I think absolutely. you're not being fair because you could read it uh, entirely another way. That's okay. You could read it and uh, say, you can, I, it. I, you can read I'm it and say what he's saying as, is, I am no greater than you. I am susceptible to sin like everyone else. But he's not like everyone else. Way. How many people do the kind of things that he did? He's not like everyone else. His his shuva is the shuva of Shaul as opposed to the shuva of David. Read Shmuel Aleph, Shmuel Aleph, Perek Tedvav. Chatati, chatati, Hashem. I sinned. I'll give that five seconds. I'll give you my lip service to my sin. And now I'm going to go uh, go back to the way I was before. Very, very little soul searching, very little taking up, very little internal remorse. Um, I think you're being totally unfair. How do you know what kind of soul searching he did? Because, How do you have an idea? No, he, I'm saying I don't see on this person, if he really did soul, any person who actually um, was aware of the seriousness of his sin would come to the conclusion, wait a second, I need to step back a little bit and take a step away from leadership. I said that I have Ruach HaKodesh. I almost destroyed this family. Anybody who did any kind of... Again, look at the tshuva of David. First of all, chatati l'ashem, nothing else. Second of all, read read Tehillim non Aleph. There's like, I'm unworthy. I don't know if I can serve God. My heart needs to be broken. My personality needs to be shattered. Molly, David HaMelech might have written that Tehillim, but you don't know if he gave a public speech. And I'm I'm willing to bet you that David HaMelech... Said Khatati Lashem to Natana Navi, but he didn't say it to everybody else. He had enough problems. But say I don't want to get into a conversation about, you know, Sefer Shmuel. I'm just saying that was the shorthand in my mind, right? When I watched him, I was like, yeah, that's a Shaul, that's not a David. I mean, that's not the person who taught us how to do tshuva. That's a person who says something very shallow, very lip servicey, so he can continue. And again, the facts speak for themselves. He, he said, I sinned, but look how much I've been exonerated. They're all dancing and singing. And he didn't say, wait a second, why are you guys dancing and singing? He's like, woohoo. It's not, I, 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 I can't, maybe again, Johnny, who has the gift of um, being able to articulate things very, very uh, um, incisively, maybe he can come to a clearer kind of articulation of what it is that's, that, 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 that struck me so forcefully. 
But if you <laughs> I don't. Want, I don't. I don't want Johnny to tell us what struck you, Johnny. What no, struck you? But I'm saying I wonder what struck <laughs> you. Know, the truth is, it's funny because whilst Molly was speaking, I, I, some of my ideas were being crystallized, but also some of hers. Uh, 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 she's also being unnecessarily uh, uh, kind to me, and I do talk often far too long. But um, let's go back to to what again? It's a question, not necessarily of what was said, but what wasn't done. You know, I have a sefer at home called Hatshuva Misifut Ashut, which means basically um, uh, penance in response to literature. And we have, for example, from the writings of the Rokeach, when people did heinous crimes, how they'd go to Galut or they'd sit by the entrance of a synagogue and basically uh, live a life of poverty for a certain amount of time to achieve some kind of um, self-cleansing. Now, contemporary authors meant from across the the, um, the uh, continuum of different poskim say nowadays we don't ask that of people we need to give people a break that we need to give people the right to to reset their lives however what I'm understanding what Mali is saying so I'm not necessarily saying what I'm thinking is for somebody who wears tefillin all day I'd expect them to treat themselves a bit like a bit more like they're okay but, but what you're having is an image of somebody of piety, but in terms of the rhetoric, somebody who seems to be saying, yes, I did wrong, somebody who publicly says they made significant mistakes, nonetheless, he's still in the same position. And a, 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 self, um, a self-proclaimed galut, literally, taking a break from the world for a little bit, trying to figure out really what went wrong in their mind and how they saw themselves probably a very be a very very good thing and oftentimes we have people who do bad things we say take some time out kind of recalibrate who you are based on the mistakes that you've made and maybe after that but there was a sense of he's done things wrong there's been this big public outcry there's been a ruling he makes an apology but now it seems to be other than the restrictions as explicitly stated by this uh, ruling, which we dearly hope he's keeping to, it's business as usual. And people like Malin, probably people like me, uh, based especially on what I said previously, would say, no, that's not good enough. It's not good enough for somebody who is that knowledgeable, somebody who who uh, pr- pr- um, promotes a certain image of piety to allow something so bad to happen and then say, let's move on. I've done bad, but we can find a way to move forward. And it says something about his character. It says something about what kind of a person he is, that he's not. I really, Molly, I have to tell you, I have a lot of trouble. I have a lot of trouble with the way you're like sort of engaging in pop psychology. It's not pop psychology. On a video. This is a man who is an extremist, who who runs a charismatic cult shiva of people who are ba'esh uvamayim, who says, again, who says things that are extreme, like we have to separate from Medinat Yisrael. He has all of the symptoms of a cult leader. Maybe I shouldn't... Wait, how would you distinguish him from... How would you distinguish him... Leave the act aside. How would you distinguish him from any other Hasidish Rebbe who says we should separate from the state of Israel, we don't celebrate Yom Ma'ud, we follow our own customs... Uh, he, instead of the, the, the people think he has Ruach HaKodesh, I promise you, go to any Hasidic, uh, real Hasidic movement, they believe all of those things about their okay. Rebbe. Then he needs to call himself an Admor and be a Hasidic Rebbe. But he's and then you'll be okay? 
And then you're okay? I would understand it. Maybe then I would say I can, I can understand his behavior because he's a Hasidic Rebbe. But first of all, I, I don't know if a Hasidic Rebbe... You, you resent that he wears tefillin as opposed to a big, big, you know, fur hat? No, but what I'm saying is he's, these characteristics are not normative. What you're saying is there might be some cultures in which they are normative. In his culture, they are not normative and they are giant, blinking, yellow to red lights. They just no, in your but, culture, they're I, 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 I just want. He never has to be. Right, he never has to be in your I, culture. One no. second, I want to interrupt by no. saying he is in Manny, my culture. Yes. Having, having, this is this is yeshiva I, I used to frequent just because I had a good library. I didn't study there in yeshiva, whatever. Um, what is over the last few years? Well, in fact, probably for many years, because before I arrived there, we're talking about yeshiva, which is neo-Hasidic absolute. There are. Hasidic yeshivas which are less Hasidic than Torah Tachayim yeshiva. By far, by and, far. And, okay, so and now I mean, that doesn't that doesn't that makes in it worse. Way that means he's any, appropriating. That doesn't indicate anything. Hasidus. However, what it means That's is what that means. <laughs> I don't I don't understand how you can make such a I really and this was my comment to you, my private comment about Rabbi Blau. I don't know. I honestly don't know how you can make a a judgment. I mean, I've also learned at the yeshiva. I don't send my children there. But how you could just sort of, you know, not be aware of the tremendous, tremendous good and and love and caring and uh, helping of Rabbi poor people, et cetera, et cetera. Did so much good, Rabbi Love. No, stop. Whoa, whoa, whoa. stop. Molly, I, I, didn't, I didn't go there either. That's not, that has nothing to do with anything. No, Correct. That has to do with, that has to do with this comment. The fact that a person can do good does nothing, has, is not a proof that they can't also do bad. That was I didn't say they didn't do that, but you're making a you're making a just a judgment from five minutes on a video that you clearly didn't understand. Really, that you you saw him wearing towels filling no. on his head in the middle of the day, and I you already decided, that. wow, this guy's whack. Also, this guy's crazy. Hasidu is also a new thing. I, I I I'm sorry, he's not he does he's not coming from a a a place. He's not the Rebbe Mibel. I don't know Bell. I don't know about Hasidu, so I can't choose for you some, you know, Admor that's like. It's an, he's it's a new phenomenon. So already to me that says he's choosing the parts that appeal to him. A person to whom right that I agree with that in is fact, not part of fact, his, I realize home. That's a problem. That's my point, Ruby. Do you understand? What I, I'm okay, one second. No, I don't. So what? He has every right to choose his own path and decide no. what parts of what you like, what Hasidic he likes. You have to you have to put the pieces together. You can't just say one or two or three. If you know, if you're you you like the part of Neo Hasidut that's about going and doing his bodidus, Mela. You like the part of Neo Hasidut that where you become an Admor? I don't know if I'm so into that. I get freed by charismatic personalities that create cult like followings. They're not healthy. And they're probably all and again, I I, I have to be humble about the Hasidish Haredi world. I don't know enough about it to be critical, but I wonder what sorts of checks and balances they have within their world. I don't know enough about the community to talk about it intelligently and to and to kind of parse out what parts are healthy, what parts are not healthy, what parts lead to abuse of the system, what parts don't lead to abuse of the system. And I'm sure that they exist. But just because there's a, a behavior pattern in the Hasidish world and he appropriates that, that to me does not exonerate him. That, again, just lights a large light. I think, I, I just feel... I felt like I feel like you already have a preconceived notion that either he's gone, I mean, I, or like nothing can be okay, which is clearly true. Meaning the fact that he is not sent away and he's not leaving the yeshiva already, already, already 
uh, paint, you know, uh, I would say, uh, paint the I, picture I, for you. All I need is the facts. And no matter what he would have said, if he would have started crying, I promise you, if you would have started crying no, no, and no. saying, I did this, it's a terrible thing, That's you would have said, see, see, he's now, he's charismatic. That is 100% not true. I actually do believe that there is tshuva. I believe that there are people who have sinned to the lowest levels. I believe even in cases of sexual impropriety, I believe that there should be room for tshuva. And I, I have had private conversations about this issue. I believe that there's room for rehabilitation. Right, but nothing he could have said other than That's I'm going, true. I'm leaving, other than no. I'm leaving, would have made you happy. I, I don't know. I would have liked to. I can't say that because I you, you have to see all the permutations. I don't know. Maybe there is anything you could have said. What I saw did not make me happy. That's not. Okay. 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 Next. Let, Moving on to number I, I three. One, one second, because firstly, I realized I was part of at least one of the conversations about Raftal before, and I crystallized five things that that made me uneasy already some weeks ago. I published it on Facebook, uh, and I want to re just re revisit them, because I, I, I don't think Mali is, is so off, in, in, and uh, I think we're both of a position that he shouldn't be uh, uh, continuing the, the position he's in, and part and parcel of critique isn't necessarily about what has been done and what is missing, both in terms of the ruling and what was perhaps missing in terms of response. I do want to, though, just um, repeat five things I said which scare the life out of me when it comes down to certain religious leaders. And though I had him in mind, certainly I have many others too, which is, one, cloistered leaders, because I think leaders who create an elite aura or bubble or institution around them can be very, very dangerous. Titles which can be applied to people or people choose themselves are, are often uh, used to give people more power than necessarily um, is in their hands. Those who claim unusual spiritual practices or speak about being a mystical personality or others attribute that to them are also deeply worrying. And number five, those who obsess about modesty. I want to say, meaning immaterial of this particular case, all those five things worried me significantly about Rabbi Tal, which is why I have zero connection with him and never did when I lived there too. People need to realize that you know, often we talk about a siman and a siba. Sometimes an event happens which is representative of a culture which is deeply worrying, immaterial of whether you have evidence of something. There was an unhealthy culture there. I believe there probably still is an unhealthy culture there. I say that based on my own personal experience. No, John, you're undoubtedly okay. correct. Obviously, you're John correct. Just our disagreement. Our disagreement and our discomfort with with the the whole meaning with the whole worldview and the whole perspective and everything about Raptal is, is totally separate from whether he apologized or not and how his apology no. came across. No, because, because you don't. You wouldn't. John I'm telling you things. that you wouldn't like. You wouldn't like anything about Raftal if he gave up. If he got him and gave a shear on Hilchot Brachot, I promise you, you would find the same problems but, because you don't like what he had to say. But if he, but so therefore, you he couldn't apologize for you. If, to if you he, because but if, he would, if his personality would have changed, would have done real tshuva, and he would have gone through a real process, then maybe I would have liked what he had to say. What you're saying? But he doesn't want. He doesn't want you to like what he has to say because he's not looking for you as a tamida. That's not the person but he's Ruby, trying to influence. I'm, what I'm saying is exactly what Rajani said. His signs are signs of a dangerous person. No, however, what I'm not oh, saying, Mali, however, Haredi, what I'm not, I'm, that's Mali, but what I'm he's not, not Haredi. He's, he's neo-Hasidic. He I, is, no, no, he is no, an Admor. He's an Admor. He's an Admor. Why does it matter? He's an Admor. No. 
Any you have more without that? that? No, but Johnny pointed out five red lines, red lights. That's what I'm saying is you could have a, a, a wonderful Haredi leader without those five red lights. And you uh, go look. You could, but you don't. You don't. I do want to challenge Mali. Mali basically yes. saying, and I didn't yes. see it in this talk. I want to make it very clear. I don't know him to be able to say whether that was evident in his talk or not. I just don't think he should still be there giving that talk. And just as I said, I can't get into the minds of the three Dianim, and I don't exactly know how much influence Russia Wise had on the Beitin. I don't know what Schmultal was No, thinking. I agree with you. I agree with you. I'm just saying his talk did not convince me that he was anything different than what I was worried about before. And it, it, if anything, it convinced me that the things I were worried about had basis. And I haven't sat in his yeshiva. I just have heard things. What, the person that I saw up there kind of looked like the person that I thought I was, you know, that I was concerned about. Okay. <laughs> we got, I guess we have to move on. Or we're ever going to finish this. Number four, rabbinic reaction. We, we see this today, mamash today, that finally people are writing, finally rabbis came out as we speak today, okay, uh, rabbis came out, Rav Chaim Drukman and Rav, uh, Rav uh, Chaim Drukman, and who was the other one? Rav, Rav Dov yeah. Lior came out a letter saying that they believe that Rav Tal is not fit to lead his yeshiva and that he can't be an educational figure in our camp. Now, people are saying on, on Facebook, finally somebody sent something. It was a real desire for rabbis to come out and say something. Okay. On the other hand... <laughs> The next article is literally like an hour later at 5.30 p.m. It's now 7 p.m. as we're recording this. As Rav Tal came out, again, as those rabbis came out against Rav Tal, Rav Avidor Nevensal, Rav Meir Mazuz, and Rav Zalman Nechemia Goldberg, also big guns, I mean big guns in the religious Zionist community, came out in support of Rav Tal. Literally saying, we're Mechaseikim, we think he should continue his holy work, etc., 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 so this claiming for a, religion, a rabbinic reaction, rabbis should come and speak out, has gotten a rabbinic re-reaction. And so my question is, what do we want from the rabbis? Is it reasonable? Like We always want the rabbis to come up and say something. We want the rabbis to say something. I think we live in a world now where, where rabbi is saying something is going to lead to exactly this. Your rabbi said this thing. My rabbi <coughs> said that thing. Maybe the end, like I was, I personally was not enamored. And here in Yabin Yamin, Rabbi Daya sent out two letters saying, "Stop talking about it. No one's going to convince anybody of anything." I'm starting to feel that he's right because as soon as you say one thing, somebody says another thing, and you know, like we're not going to agree. What are you going to do? Okay. What are you going to do, Rabbi Johnny? Should right. the rabbis have said something, or should we just? Is it better not not to? I I I'll go back to what I originally said. I, the need for a Betin to provide clarity was due to the fact that nobody else was prepared to do so. The fact that now, after uh, a ruling which has certain things very clear and certain things very ambiguous, has been published, which is satisfactory for some and deeply unsatisfactory for others, right, has come out. Everybody's got something to say about who was involved and what they think and etc., etc. Ultimately, though, we've seen a failure of leadership which has led to where we are today. The very fact that now, after all this, people are speaking up for and against a rabbi when they didn't speak up for the woman is itself the systemic issue. Let's never ever forget, and I've said this many times on our show, 
that the victim here is a woman and anybody else who's been in a similar predicament. The victim uh, has, of course, there are human costs to institutional crises, and if mishandled, sometimes that may well go against people who are trying to get their life back together. But there is a hierarchy of deserving needs. And what's happened here is we've forgotten her in the backdrop and the sikhsukh about whether Rabbi Tal should or shouldn't be here and the ruling and then who is Ba'adim and who isn't ultimately makes this a silly fight. And truth be told, it, it embarrasses me because we've lost wisdom through this and we've lost sight of the primary goal, which is to hear the cry of those in need. And ultimately, my feeling is he should take step down. Um, he should uh, do some very serious cheshbon and nefesh, whether he has or he hasn't. That's not for me to judge. But that's what he should be doing. Yes, but Johnny, you just conflated two different issues. One issue is to hear the cry of the woman, which we should hear, and to understand her plight. Okay, she's married. Her husband. Was she's about, about to have children. The issue of whether Rav Tal should or should not continue is, I, I mean, really not connected to her plight. She had a plight, and the, but between meaning he he took advantage of the relationship, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, meaning he should now. Be, I really don't see a connection. See a connection. If she has a plight, the connection is this: there was the the the, the uh, silence was deafening until relatively recently. Yeah, the silence was deafening about all these telltale signs, which I listed, which you and I both know have been very, very evident in those institutions for years. The silence has been deafening in terms of rumors. Rashmul Eliyahu, who named this whole issue, said, I've been dealing with this for four years behind the scenes and many other complaints too. And almost nobody else has spoken up. Wait, 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 second. You, you said we have, you said we have to public, trust the Beitin. The Beitin said right? no, 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 they no, investigated, the Beitin, and he, there are no other claims. They basically said that we couldn't find any other claims. When he went public, um, then other rabbis from the same community, you and people who you and I both know, said of Shmuel Yahweh's tzaddik and tzaddik, right? But now what's happened is we've had a redirection. What bothers me time and again when we have situations like this is we get so caught up in uh, who's camp are you in that we forget that we should only be in one camp. And so I think they're profoundly connected. Again, I don't understand. We should be in the camp. We should feel bad for the woman, 100%. But that's not if the we issue. Did, we all feel we bad for her. If we did, we wouldn't have come to this. Because if we did, leadership would have shown itself. Voices would have been raised way before the need to go to Betin, way before the conclusions that have happened, way before what's happened. Meaning, if there would have been firmer, more coherent leadership about that plight, we wouldn't be here. The fact that there wasn't is why we are here today. Molly? Okay, so to answer your question, um, of course we need a voice to stand up, right? That was your original question. Should rabbis get involved? Why? Yeah. Because when you have a situation like right, the community is very confused. The community is in a vacuum, and they don't know what to believe, and they don't know who's right and who's wrong and how to understand it and how to approach it. Um, and as I said many times, not taking a stand is taking a stand, right? By definition, you, you are taking a stand when you say, shh, no Lashon Hara, that takes a stand. And so again, two issues. One, you are taking a stand. And two, you're leaving people in a state of intolerable um, confusion and lack of clarity. 
somebody has to be the adult in the room. Somebody has to be the leader who stands up and clarifies that person should be a professional who can explain in professional and clear terms what's actually going on. And even if there are places where the answer is not clear, they can say, look, here's a place where we're not sure. But you need voice clarity to help the to to help kind of um, get okay, the so who, wait, confusion. So who's the adult in the room here? Okay, so Rab or Abnevenzal? Okay, so then you're going to tell me <laughs> I, who's the adult in the room. Obviously, I have an opinion. My opinion is the adult in the room are the rabbis who like Rav Blau, have many years of experience with this, have consulted with professionals, um, have have dealt with this in depth for a very, very long time. That's why I'd say Rav Blau is, is, is trying to be the adult in the room, and that's why he does have, you had asked the question, what does he know, what is, not what does he know, but like why is he- I did not ask that. I asked, well, I asked, is it appropriate he, for him to write about it from halfway around the world without yes. having any knowledge right. of so the situation? So my answer is it is appropriate because he's one of the few adults in the room, metaphorically, among rabbinic leadership. Um, then there's going to be a whole lot of other rabbinic voices. That's going to happen. That's the nature of, of, of um, rabbis. They're going to have different opinions. But if we're going to say we want leaders to stand up, then we know we're, you know who's going to censor, who gets to stand up, who isn't going to stand up? Not me. So what I'm going to say is, I'm going to let all the voices speak. I'm going to listen to all of them, and I'm going to decide which one of these do I think are speaking professionally, ethically, um, you know, with a, with a voice of halachic um, integrity and spiritual, moral, and and uh, psychological integrity. And just to go back to Johnny's point about the right, how is this connected to the plight of the victim? The od'ech it's connected to the plight of the victim, which is something I said before as well, which is that every time that we inappropriately respond to a crisis in our communities, we are re-traumatizing past victims because what they're seeing is that what happened to them has happened again and that they, are, if they feel like it's, it's, it's happened one more time to them and they, they, have, and they are voiceless again and they are not seen again, they are not heard again, and we are setting the stage for future victims because we are not giving a clear um, message about how you, yes, deal with people like this. Like you had said... You know, shh, don't tell anybody. Really, Ruby, I want to tell you something. You talk to your kids. I don't care, you know, and I can have a lot of respect for the Rav of your community. I understand that, you know, Rav Johnny said he's a person that he has tremendous respect for. And I appreciate the idea of no Lashon Hara. But I'm telling you, you speak to your children. You tell them what danger signs there are, what warning signs there are. So, yeah, Molly, I feel like you're just making my point because you said two things. One, you say... I decide which rabbi I want to listen to. It's rabbi our rabbi, and I decide which rabbi is most appropriate to me. So really, do I need a rabbi in order to tell yes. me that? In order to tell, yes. wait, wait, let me finish my turn. I want. Do I need a rabbi to tell me which rabbi I should listen to? Because then I have to ask my rabbi which to listen to. That's number no. one. And I number two, you said, rabbi. wait, Ruby. number two, number two, you said to me is talk to my kids. And you know what I said to my kids about this? I said to my kids something very simple. If you ever got, got, and I really said this to them, I said, if you, my daughters particularly, if, if, if you ever go to talk to a rabbi and he tells you, go ahead and close the door. You get up nice. and you say, Kvot harav, no, I decided it's not important. And you walk out and you never go to that rabbi ever again. Okay, why is that? Okay, because, because you have you. to have the seichel, because we as, have to be parents and we have Correct. to be adults and we have to educate our children to be cognizant of the situation that they're in. And I wonder, and, and you, you ask yourself, 
how do we educate our children that they're not going to arrive at one o'clock in the morning and asking them right. to solve their problems about okay, their marriages? So I'm saying, Wait, I'm not, not done yet. I'm not or. done yet. I'm not go done ahead. yet. Okay. So therefore, therefore, this idea of looking to rabbis to speak up for us or having, it goes back to my original point about a baitin. The baitin has decided. The baitin has decided nothing. The baitin has decided that some, some that, that they feel that Raftal shouldn't be fired. But we all have our obligations as parents and as educators and as people who teach and people in the community to set, decide to ourselves, one second, am I going to send my children there? Am I going to be quiet when my neighbors are considering sending their children there? I mean, I, I think to myself, what would I do? You know, what really, what would I do if my children came home and said, oh, this is great yeshiva and I really want to go there. And I'm pretty sure I said to them, listen, I, I support you in a lot of different things. I'm not paying for that one because I just don't believe I would support it. And I tell people, you know, if you think that by sending your children to that high school, you're not supporting that institution, you're wrong. Because the Beitin didn't absolve you of your parental responsibility. Which leads me back to the first thing in the, in the, the idea in the first place. The idea of battling rabbis, this rabbi wrote this letter, or that rabbi wrote that letter, to my mind, is a chil Hashem. It doesn't cause kavod HaTorah, because you've got your rabbi and I've got my rabbi. I would love if Rabbi Dai to come along and say, it's an important issue. Everyone has different positions. I have my position. But you have an obligation to teach your children. And maybe that's okay. what he said in the end. Right, because no one's, because you're not going to convince anybody of anything about this. And okay. all are complaining on this podcast hasn't convinced anyone because the people that agree with us agree with you. One second. I, so I want to I just end with this last point, which is I don't, I don't disagree with you. I think two things are contradictory. I think, one, parents have a responsibility to educate their children exactly as you're saying. And at the same time, we are a community that believes in leadership, and we should have leaders that are going to come out and um, and speak their their words of leadership clearly. If they don't, that then then you have your job as a parent, and if they do, you still have your job as a parent. Those are two things that should both be happening. You're right. It's unfortunate that our leadership is very confused and divided, and you end up with the duel of the rabbis, and it is a chol Hashem. But the solution to that is not. Nobody say anything. The solution to that is let's continue to have this conversation. Let's hopefully, um, you know, the more we talk, maybe the more things will come out. Maybe in 15 years, our community will be in a healthier place because the more, again, the more, you know, conversation we have about it, things will eventually become clearer. And maybe we will hopefully have a more unified, healthier perspective. And it won't just be, this, you know, war of the dueling rabbis. But leadership can't be absolved of getting up and, and taking a stand. Rev. Johnny, I'll give you the last word. <laughs> the last word is, I think we've spoken a lot. Um, and let's hope that we don't have more cases like this, but let's try and learn lessons of what is done right, but also the many things that uh, aren't done right. Because um, simply point, you know, this is... Too, these situations are happening too often and I want to know really what's the call and the, the, there are always going to be people who do things wrong but it seems to be that we're enabling these actions by venerating people because we appreciate people, having people to venerate and we need to think twice when we do that okay well we'll, we'll leave it off here um, next week or maybe in two weeks I want to, well, maybe we'll, we'll talk about two topics. We're not going to, we'll, we'll divide it up and maybe have shorter conversations. I want to thank Molly Brabsky and uh, Johnny Solomon for joining us. 
if you enjoyed the podcast and you made it this far, please do us a favor and give us a rating or share it with your friends. We'd obviously love more people to listen. We'd love to hear your feedback. You can email any one of us. We're pretty easy to find on the interwebs. I want to thank you both for uh, giving of your time. I want to thank my son, Petachis Volter, for writing our music. I'm Ruben Svolter, and uh, we wish everybody a good week. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, everybody.